Talking Landscape Photography with Christian Fletcher and Cowan. On the podcast today, I've got to admit, I'm pretty nervous about this because we're um, we're talking to a legend of landscape photography. His name is Dr. Les Walkling, so I'm pretty much just going to sit here with a notepad. But um, Dr. Les Walkling, welcome to Light Minded. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Hi, Les. Hey, Christian. Hey, Les. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, mate? really good. It's been a, been a while since we've had a chat, actually. I can't remember the last time we... We spoke. I was trying to work that out last night. Yeah, I think it has shamefully been a while. I'm sorry, Christian. It has. But we're catching up oh, now. I know that. Yep. Well, we're, we're all so busy all the time, you know. And, uh, of course, when, when whenever we get together and chat, it's usually about, um, you know, politics and, <laughs> and art. And, and, and it, there's usually a few expletives thrown in there to, to pepper our talk with a bit of uh, whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's so nice to have you on the podcast. We've been meaning to get you on for a while. Mm. Just trying to get a few runs on the board first before we get all the uh, the big guns in to, to <laughs> chat to us. No so, idea. But yeah, no. It's, then what have you been up to? What's your what's what's been your? Uh, it's been a. What have you been spending your time? Yeah, on? look, it's been a really good year. We've, uh, you know, the collaborative projects that we do is is you know one of the many things that we do. It's been a huge year. We uh, I got the uh, Peter Dombrovska show from the National Library that I helped put together up there in Canberra. We. We staged that magnificently at uh, Monash Gallery of Art and um, and then followed that by the Bill Henson 25-year commemorative project. I've, I've got to send you a copy of the book that Andre and I, I um, uh, you know, helped create for, for Bill. It's absolutely ast- astonishing what he's actually done. Yeah. And so that went off bigger than Ben-Hur um, and I've just finished uh, a body of work with a very dear friend of mine over here, Paul Dunn, who works in the disability sector a lot, um, extraordinary photographer and extraordinary politician as well. Um, yeah, a, a, an opening doors exhibition is about to open at no no vacancy here in a couple of weeks at the gallery in town. Um, beautiful, beautiful portraits of uh, of, of people um, living with um, you know, disabilities, and uh, yeah, and huge prints, and yeah, it's quite a wonderful celebration and a real delight to work with him because boy is he of a, a decisive moment um, disciple. Uh, the, the, the empathy, yeah. the compassion, the, the, uh, the, you know, the humanity that, that he is able to see through his little lens is just quite remarkable. So, yeah, I did a bit of va-va-vooming and um, these things look hey. better than you could imagine. Anyway, so it's been a, been a huge year uh, collaboratively and I'm exhausted, so I'm looking forward, <laughs> I <bet you laughs> looking forward to it. Lucky you got Ange there to help you out uh, as well. Yeah. So. But, yep. Yeah. Hey, look, you, I mean, I think I was reading that you started, I was 10 years old when you started photography. So <laughs> that's a, uh, yeah, I know that sounds terrible, wow. because, but you know, I started photography pretty young too. I mean, I was 15 when I started, so I wasn't too far behind you. Oh but my God. when I say I was 15, I was, that's when I got my first camera, but to, to, to say I was a, uh, a photographer of any description was, was a bit of a stretch. But so what, what drew you to photography? I mean, you were doing other things, obviously, but what, tell us a bit more about you know, how that all started? Oh, it's quite a romantic story, really. I, I, uh, I was we were boyfriend and girlfriend, Helen Ennis and myself, and we were actually on, on a bike trip, a cycling trip, pushing into an insane southern gale. We battled this for a, a day or so, and massive storms welled up, so we camped off the side of the road in the bush, as thunder and lightning broke over us and we basically held hands for 24 hours while the storm raged around us 
and <laughs> made a life decision and that um, uh, that the world of art was the world that we belonged in. Uh, Helen, of course, went on to be, you know, one of our, if not our greatest ever art historian in the world of photography. Her book, Olive Cotton, has just been published uh, um, to great acclaim. And uh, and I then decided to, um, to drop out of uni and work full-time as a visual artist. So um, that, that was sort of the the major decision but along the way my first year at university is the height of the Vietnam War and the student union was barricaded from floor to ceiling um, and occupied by a lot of draft resistors and I put my hand up and said you know can I help and they said well look here are all these photos we reckon these are undercover agents uh, on uh, on site uh, we need big posters so I walked into a dark room with zero knowledge and worked out how to reproduce these little mug shots and we made on single weight paper. Do you remember single weight paper, Fletch? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We made 20 by 24 inch blow-ups of these mugs and we plastered thousands of them all over the university. Have you seen this man? And this was in the... Is yeah, right? so, and, and I just kind of fell in love with working at the speed of a dripping tap with that, you know, the, the intoxicating... <laughs> wonder of um of of what comes out of darkness so um plus i walked down the street and decided i couldn't read the lecture boards from the back of the room and worked out i needed glasses so i walked out of the optometrist a few days later and said my god christ sensitive surfaces revealing all manner of truths and apparitions and lenses my god is this how sharp the world really looks so you know i just had no choice fletch i was born into photography go go figure <laughs> so, so is this, uh, Dr. Les, is this a matter of, because uh, my, my vision's terrible too, and occasionally I'll borrow a set of glasses and go, wow, this is actually how the world looks. But was that, yeah. um, is, is that what inspired you? Like actually putting the glasses on going, look at this, this texture, look at this sharpness. Did that, um, you know, did that help kick things off? It, it, was, a, it was a little more introspective, I guess. You know, I just realised how democratic lenses are. Now remember this in in Australian politics. This was a time of extraordinary division. We think social media polarizes people today. Christ, our our art schools back then, blood was just running down the corridor. You know, people were burning each other's paintings, denouncing people. Okay. You know, it was just it was pretty wow. bloody heady because a lot was going on, a lot of injustice and a lot of pain for a lot of lot of people. And um, and and so at that time a lens which just and you know Fletch we love our beautiful lenses don't we and they're yeah, even more democratic you know they don't like to leave anything out it just it just swept me off my feet you know the the unbiased simplicity with which the world was represented by this lens and and then of course all I needed was something sensitive to capture that um, and a, a sheet of film was the obvious contender so uh, that that was mm. sort of my silly little meandering of how I put optics and chemistry and uh, and sensitive sensitive surfaces together in the service of politics, uh, feelings, thoughts, and um, and hopes and dreams. So that's my mm. that's my excuse. <laughs> What's yours? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good one. I like them. It's interesting that you talk about the division and and the and the, the nastiness of politics back then. And obviously the, the Vietnam War and stuff. I mm. thought that it, t- today was as bad as it could ever have been. But because uh, you know, being ten years old, I wasn't really into politics mm. and stuff back in those days. But 
Yeah, so it was that bad, hey? Well, I mean, look at what's happening, you know, Hong Kong, all around the world these days. Yeah. Um, the very last conversation I had with my father before he passed uh, in, in the end of April 1968 was about the student-led riots in Paris, the streets of Paris burning. We didn't have mm. the, the, the YouTube moment-by-moment moment, um, visual commentary then as we did today, mm. but I can remember walking out of that hospital just sort of filled with this intense kind of uh, uh, volcano-like fury about uh, injustice. And, um, and I was a very young boy, of course, but, but my understanding, at least what I wrote back then, was about just the sense of incredible injustice and that it was students who were leading the charge. And look at our kids now dropping out of school for a day and organising climate action marches and putting our, polit- our elected officials to shame. So the, uh, the mirroring is just extraordinary, Fletch, from one end of my life to the other. Uh, yeah, you, young people with vision, hope and, and determination uh, are yeah. really starting to show up uh, some of our systems of uh, governance and, and justice. Sure so yeah, hats off to them, eh? Yep. Yeah, Let's, sure. if, we, uh, if we zoom into the, to the right now, how does the world compare nowadays to the, to the Vietnam era? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a complex thing, isn't it? The, I, I just keep thinking about how hopeful we were back then. You know, sex, sex mm. drugs, rock and roll, you know, the whole revolution <laughs> from, from, from within. <laughs> No, I mean, just how, how hopeful we were. We, there was no... Uh, I just don't remember the uncertainty that is so prevalent today about climate reconciliation, refugees, you know, how on earth are we going to turn this monster around? Back then, it was just, mm. it was just so naive, I guess, but so incredibly positive mm. that change could happen. Now, of course, a little bit of change happened, but equality you know just reconciliation i mean we're still in as big a hole as we've ever been in perhaps despite look at the uluru statement i mean you know you end up crying in front of the news every night if you're brave enough to watch it it's you just kind of but there was just such a naive i guess but such an absolute belief and and this is why we all ended up in the world of art because there was, there's no Bible, there's no rule book, there's no thou shalt or thou shalt. We all came to the world of art, and especially the world of photography being the dominant medium of the time. Talk about broadcasting. I mean, that, that was, our, that was our, our, our podcasts back then. Um, and with our little artist-run galleries and our little happenings and our little s- s- performances and all of this stuff. So it was really seen to be art as a highly politicised, engaged part of our community where real change could happen. And, of course, Peter Dombrovskis comes out of that and with Bob Brown and the Greens mm. changes our view of environmentality, environmental justice and, and politics um, uh, for all time. So it's not like mm. art um, you know, can't bring about change beyond conscious raising. But back then, we, we had no doubt that it could Whereas now, you know, mm. art looks pretty bloody hopeless, you know, when it comes to these huge mm. debates. And so now it's very hard for, <clears throat> I mean, I'm okay, I'm a Scorpio, you know, I get out of bed every morning yeah, and just want to, you know, punch, kill yeah, just kill everything. <laughs> That's right. uh, so I, it's like my wife, she's a Scorpio too. Oh, commiserations. <laughs> I didn't, that explains everything, Fletch. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, now I, I, it's just, I just, 
now I, I just meet so many people, you know, come to our workshops and you know, meet them at gallery openings and it's just doom and gloom and uh, and that naive mm. hope of, of justice and a belief. Uh, not, not the young kids you talk to, of course, but, uh, you know, people... Mm who have mid-career artists and so forth. So, yeah, it's a really different time in, in that sense. And I think art... Remember, art in that political... Going beyond ego and just going beyond self-interest, you know, art as social good always sort of worked as a means of translating the uncommon or untranslatable, the scientific facts of climate change, for example, to help convince and bring about political and legislative change that then forces policy that socially engineers what's needed. Now, art has just failed so miserably, I think, despite the Fiona Halls attempting the impossible, in that translation space. So what role Mm. can art play in these massive, massive debates? Well, these beautiful portraits of Paul Dunn's that I've just worked with him for a couple of weeks on realising them as large, glorious, magnificent-looking portraits of individuals at their very best in their homes with their activists' badges and beliefs and hopes all around them. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's changed my tune in these last two weeks because I think that's going to make a lot of people feel... Uh, not so much act, but feel like, you know, there's 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 possibilities. Uh, yeah. We're in the middle of this horrendous, you know, uh, you know, national disability scheme. Oh God, how can a government get things so wrong? My friend Paul has just written thirteen more submissions. He, he works with an advocacy group here, and no no certainty they'll get funding for things that are just so obviously about humanity and decency and, you know, treating people as loved ones and not as objects or as... Anyway, but, uh, yeah, so I'll, we'll see how this exhibition goes, not just preaching to the converted, but just what sort of press it gets and what it enables other people other people to do. So, um, yeah. Yeah. we'll see. Well, I think you, you, you're, you're um, the reason why I've been so vocal with in regard to the environment you know people or i always i get i actually get other friends ring me on occasion and say fletch can you just tone it down a little bit you know you're, you're coming across as a little bit bloody, bit you know, bullshit fanatical yeah. you know and uh, and i just think of you les i think you know because i remember you saying to me that you know artists are there we're supposed to question things we're supposed to think about these things deep and, and show people um, and um, through our art, but I do know what you're saying uh, mm. about it's not not making people act as as, as we would hope. And uh, my my wife and I were talking about this the other day. We were saying that you know, all the climate marches. Mm. We went to a climate march on uh, down a Margaret River, and there would have been a thousand people there. Yeah. But but since that that afternoon, I mean, nothing's happened. We haven't we haven't done anything, and and it's like. I think the acting is the, is the hardest part, and I, and I and I think about the the climate extinction people, mm. um, and they're so brave, and they they are acting. And I remember someone making a comment saying, "Well, we've done all the passive stuff. We've done the rallies. We've sat around and we've we've, we've talked and we've had, you know, we had these rallies, but but now it's time to act. It's like we need to disrupt people's lives 
because what's coming is going to be more disruptive. So if they can't handle uh, a 30-minute delay getting to work because someone's blocked the road, how are they going to feel about sea level coming up to their doorstep <laughs> and, and, mm. and droughts and, and uh, floods and hurricanes and cyclones, all this stuff? It's, it's crazy. It's <laughs> Sorry, No, no, I was just going to say, um, remember the first Climate Festival here in, in Melbourne and, and we staged that ND, ND5 curated project um, as mm. part of it? Uh, and, of course, the keynote speakers from Australia and abroad in those years were, um, were, were, were artists working in this area. Well, this, this year's Climate Festival uh, where, where we also had a, uh, uh, the Peter Dombrovska show that I put together for the uh, Monash Gallery of Art was, of course, one of the headline acts. Interestingly, the overseas keynote speakers that Bronwyn and, uh, brought out this year for the Climate Festival were not artists. They were museum directors. But they weren't the museum directors of the big museums, like the Metropolitan in, in New York and so forth, they were ratbags like you and I who, who <laughs> discovered that to become a, a member of the Guild of Museum Directors in North America, uh, you, you needed very, very few credentials. And, of course, uh, my, my favourites, and shamefully I can't put my finger on their names now, this husband and wife team, uh, they have this uh, uh, fish and chip shop disused oil fueled biodiesel bus which they go around to big mm -hmm. festivals and and they've got this one incredible exhibit which is uh they call themselves the museum of the future and and, and uh, these are artists who've become true activists and museum directors now they've got themselves aboard of major museums but they also have these exhibits so they turn up to these huge museumology fairs you know where all the stuff for museums are you know big trade shows and whatnot and they they've got these <laughs> exhibits um and it's like uh homeo sapien here's the skeleton of a, of a homeo sapien who existed between these years and those years and it's like in a glass cage and <laughs> it's just so clever you know but they've got themselves yeah. on boards of major museums. And what they've managed to do is get off those boards, the climate change sceptics. But not only that, and these are people who put billions of dollars into, into this industry, especially in North America. But not only that, what they've managed to do is start to convince the curators, the keepers of the collections. Um, because, for example... Um, Apparently, there's not a single room in a single museum and something like 70,000 of these museums um, across the whole of North America, not a single room that they could find that has a history of climate change. So instead of this yeah. perceived transparency yeah. of museums or, 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 or we're not taking sides, we're just showing you know, the evidence, um, curators are increasingly starting to take a political stand. Now, the upshot yeah. of that, uh, of course is just is just brilliant because according to their keynote and i haven't followed this up so i can only assume that it's correct the money that goes into museums in north america the amount of money that is spent on families going to these places it was more than all sports and all video games combined and in the wow. scale of what people in north america felt was uh, in an age of disinformation and misnews and all, all of this silliness, 
that they felt were reliable sources of information were museums. They were right up there. You know, and yeah. so they talk about where you go to broadcast these messages to bring about conscious change. My God, they just, just targeted museums across North America. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, but but wow, with it, yeah, so uh, these are little moments of hope to hold on to as we point our lenses at the world and and try not to and try not to just photograph disaster porn. Do, Dr. Wal- <laughs> Dr. Walkling, you've um, you've pretty much already answered this question, but What's why it? why is art important? Could you imagine? not being able to listen to Beethoven or Hendrix. You know, it's it's just, could you imagine a world without, uh, you know, without a Bill Henson or a Poussin in it? I mean, to me, it's that's an unimaginable world and, 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 and the dimension that art uh, embraces is often those things that other areas of our world find so hard to talk about. I mean, we have a a very beloved family member in intensive care at the moment and and these these surgeons and doctors as as remarkable people as they are just struggle you have to push them like there's no tomorrow to become a little more emotional a little more you know giving a little more honest uh, in that realm which shakespeare had no trouble talking us from pillar to post about. So art is, life's unimaginable without art. Uh, and unfortunately, it's also unimaginable without politics and therein lies the problem. Tell you what, what an amazing guy. What an amazing photographer. That was uh, Dr. Les Walkling. And he's going to be back with us next week for part two of our three-part interview with the, the master. That's uh, next Thursday from 10 o'clock Western Standard Time. We'll see you then.